into who he is today. Yeah, there wasn't, and I get this is a book on like, his this childhood. This is a book about his childhood. But I am curious about the transition from becoming a hustler, doing you know DJing and making CDs. It's basically, and upselling. a whole book about him being a criminal. I love it so much. <laughs> I love it so much. But how did he go from that to being? He must have just started doing shows and. I bet it. it evolved from his DJing. I, I bet, to. like, he must have made a name for himself as a DJ, and then he started touring as a DJ, and, like, made a name for himself elsewhere, and then, I mean, obviously he lost all his music, so he stopped right. DJing, but right. he probably found other ways to entertain a crowd. That's where comedy came in. So, I bet, I bet he started pretty much the same way, and it just grew because he was funny. And now he's funny and hosts a great TV show. Yes. That informs you. Yes. So, um, what are your thoughts? Do you have anything yeah, else? Yeah, I have overall thoughts. Um, so this is my favorite book that we've done. Is it? Yeah. Which is weird because my genre is like true crime or fantasy or sci-fi, not nonfiction, certainly not autobiographical, but this was my favorite book that we've read so far. It was a great book. I literally wrote down, it was my shit with five eyes. <laughs> It was my shit. Your shit. And then I, I put, um, he deserves all the awards, and I hope his family is thriving in Highlands North. Also, fun fact, did you know this being turned into a movie? No! Yeah. <gasps> Amazing! Yeah. I 100% yeah. see it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They announced it last year. I went on the Wikipedia page to oh check out the book. I yeah. love it. This is going to be great. Ah! So we're going to go see that. Yes, we are. 100%. Um, but overall, I have nothing but praise for this book. Yeah, it was beautifully written, very... So Jackie and I both read it in the past two days, so... <laughs> Jackie read all of it yesterday. I read it I read it over two days. I read it, I like started on Wednesday, and then I finished it last night. Now we're recording on, on Friday. Yeah. So, um... I'm sorry, I'm reading my notes, I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, 100%. Um... I'm going to try and say his language properly. I have a pronunciation. It's, it's Klosa, right? It's a, it's a click language. Yeah, and if you can't click, you can say Kausa. Kausa? Okay. But it's, it's... It's against the side of your mouth. I can't. Like, if you were to call it horse. Like... Oh, okay. And then you just... Klosa. Yeah. Is that Klosa. it? Klosa. Klosa. Trying really hard here. So I, I looked it up, and if you if you can't if you say, can't it, say it, you can say kausa mm. is the accepted way to say it if you can't click. Okay, interesting. All right. Um, I hope that clicking is the right term for that. I believe it is. I, I watched a video of him saying it. Yeah. And he talked about it like click click sounds. I watched a video of him doing it in front of like it must have been like a British talk show. And they were all, like, just so amazed that he could do it. I was watching that one! Is it the one where, there's, like, some old dude that's, like, a famous old dude in, in England, and there's a woman in it. Yeah! And, like, and the guy's, like, just seduce me right yeah! now. Yes! Yes! I watched that video! Okay. Didn't he look so uncomfortable, though, yes, when they he were, did. like, amazing? He was, like, 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 amazing. And he was, like, it's just my language. And then I'm, like, oh, my God, I'm that idiot who thinks it's amazing. <laughs> damn it. God damn it. Um, okay. Do you want to talk about quotes? Um, I would love to talk about quotes. I have a lot of quotes. Um, I don't know how many quotes I have, but I have a lot of quotes. My first quote is not on a page, it's on the intro. You go first. Okay, great. So, before every, well, before and I guess. Did I read an intro? Oh, is it the, the, the little, the, ins, the little, the section little. before each chapter? Oh! The first one was on a page number. Okay. Yes, no, I have that one. <laughs> was it? I think I I just counted backwards from the pages after because I have a couple notes from those. Oh well, then in that case, five four. My first one's on page three. I also have one on page three, but it was just about how you pronounce it. Pronounced. Oh, okay. My third. Pulsa. So there's um, it b before and after every chapter. There's like a little inset. Are you out of wine already? Yeah. about what is happening currently in South Africa, whether it was during apartheid or post or mm -hmm. after um, Mandela is set free or right before Mandela is set free and yeah. all of that. Um, 
and the first one, he's explaining how it was all set up. And he says, the Zulu went to war with the white man. The Kausa played chess with the white man. Neither were successful. Mm-hmm. So, like, the Zulu and the Kausa are, like, two different peoples. Like, he called them tribes. Yeah. But they're, like, five main ones. Yeah. And you're part of your tribe, and every other tribe hates you if you're not a part of their tribe. Basically, what apartheid did was apartheid took a group of, and I'm going to refer to them as white South Africans, colored South Africans, and black South Africans, just because that's how, that's how he, he refers, refers to them to. in his book. Yeah. Um, so for clarity's sake, that's I'm just going to use his terminology. Um, but essentially what apartheid did was it took all of the, anybody who wasn't white in South Africa, and it created divisions within them, and then made them hate each other for no reason. So, and then that way, because the the black South Africans and the colored South Africans outnumbered the white South Africans. So if there was any sense of unity, they could have overturned apartheid. You know what was what? I'm sorry, I interrupt. Go ahead. Um, well, just the, the, the last bit of that is that it's, it's structural institutional racism, racism that just separates everybody and separates them into even further groups that are just completely, like... Irrational. Was, yeah. Well, and, like, unnecessary, you know? Colored is a mixed, if, uh, if you're mixed. Yes. Right? So mixed is, like, colored is, like, if you had either a white mom and a black dad or vice That's versa, right. or if both of your parents were mixed, of yeah. mixed descent. Because the, he talks a lot about the history of South Africa and how the Dutch came, like, back in the 1600s and started mixing with the locals and that's where the colored race kind of began. Or yeah, began. it started there. I, like, we grow up learning about apartheid. Mm-hmm. Not me- not in it, as in-depth as I learned from this book. I had no idea you could be promoted to white. I didn't either! What the fuck is that? I also had no idea that Chinese people were considered black, but Japanese people were considered white. That I did know, but only because I saw a special about it. So, um, fun fact, when I was in sixth grade, that's when I took world geography, and we watched a movie about apartheid, and before we could watch it, they sent permission slips home to our parents Mm -hmm. to say, you know, hey, we're going to be watching this movie. There's a lot of violence in it so if you don't want kids to watch it you let us know and we have other activities planned for them so like we want to give you the opportunity to watch the movie yourself decide for yourselves whether or not you want your child to watch this my parents were one of two sets of parents in the whole class who decided they did not want me to see the movie really yeah so i didn't see the movie i don't i don't remember the name of the movie they thought it was too violent they thought i was too young to be seeing something so violent and I really feel like I missed out on something because, like, I didn't, I, because I, the flip side of that is that when I was in college, I took a class called Geoperspectives Honors, and in that class, um, the, the, the course that I took to satisfy that requirement focused on developing cities around the globe. So they split us into teams, we were in that same team for the whole semester, and then that, we each picked a city. Um, from around the globe, and we studied that city throughout the whole semester, and we studied it from a food perspective, from maps, from history, from music, and all that. I had Johannesburg, South Africa. Oh, nice! So, it's kind of like, I feel like I didn't, I missed out on that Mm -hmm. in sixth grade when we watched that video, and I didn't get to see it, and I didn't really understand it fully, and then Johannesburg, and then there's something so different about reading about it from somebody's perspective who lived there. Were the activities not equal to watching the movie? I think they were. I think they were, but it's, I mean, it's been so long, I couldn't tell you what the activities were. All I can remember is that I sat in the computer lab next door and did something on the computer, and it probably taught me about apartheid, because I knew what it was, I just didn't get the full effect of seeing it. Well, and like you said, reading it from somebody who lived it and saw the direct Very different from, different. like, trying to find... Reading a documentary, reading history books, mm-hmm. getting taught by a white American teacher. Mm-hmm. Very different. Very, very different. And this, I think, taught me the most about it. Yeah. Um, in a way that made it feel very relatable, especially in terms of, like, where our country is right now. Oh, I have lots of notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just... I, I don't know if I'd say it was...
was my favorite book, but I enjoyed it immensely. So much more than I ever thought I would enjoy it because I'm not a big nonfiction person. Right. But I really, really enjoyed it. Good job, Trevor. Thanks, Trevor. Um, my first quote's on page five. Okay, go ahead. My next one's on eight. It says, like indigenous peoples around the world, black, black South Africans adopted the religion of our colonizers. By adopt, I mean it was forced on us. Yep, absolutely. I thought we did learn that part. That's a pretty common facet of apartheid. It's so interesting. It's like, like, you are Christians now? This mm-hmm. is the Jesus? You will do the Jesus. Do the Jesus. Do the Jesus. And they're like, yes, we will do the Jesus. Thank you for saving us. Yeah. That's wild. Wild. Um... Okay, I don't have another quote until 33. Okay, page <laughs> it's 8. A funny quote. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. Um, page 8. Um, how many pages was your book? Um, 280 something. Okay, same. Okay. Yeah, it's the same cover, so I assume it's the same. Yeah, I just didn't know because yours is paperback and mine's hardback, I so yeah. I didn't know if that I had any effect on it. I prefer, prefer. But it's about the same. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I just want to shout out to Natalie Daniels. <laughs> I got my book at a used shop because I'm poor and also support local bookshops. Yes. And this one came from a sixth grader maybe named Natalie Daniels who so very kindly highlighted the things she thought was important and left me little comments and notes. And without her, I don't think I could have got through this book. (laughs) For example, I did not know that, wait, wait for it. For example... When Abel was drunk, he was a completely different person. And then she noted, bad. <laughs> Thank you. I would not have known that. Oh, my goodness. Natalie. Thanks, Thanks Natalie. We encourage your love of books. I personally do not encourage you writing in them, but Jackie does. So don't write in them if you're going to donate them. Yeah. I guess. But to be fair, I knew what I was buying. Kind of. I was going to say, you didn't think you were getting, like, but when I checked, I was like, what condition did I order it in? And I looked at the website and was like, oh, that is exactly what I ordered. Yeah. Fair. Thanks, Daniels. Natalie Daniels. Okay. So the quote, this is when young Trevor is, so Trevor had to go to like four different churches a week. So yeah, what he had like Monday was Bible school, Tuesday was analysis, Thursday was youth, Saturday was something. Well, I don't remember him going, like, multiple days a week. I remember Sundays he'd go to white church, colored church, and... Oh, he went during the days of the week, too. Oh. When he I moved out, that detail, he yeah. was able to stop. But, mm. um, but he says, time moved slowly in the black church. And that's because, quote, black people needed more time with Jesus because we suffered more. Ugh. And that was upsetting. That is upsetting. In my mind, I'm like, well, I feel like white people need Jesus more because they've done fucked up everything and need a lot of forgiveness. Yeah. But maybe Jesus works both ways. Let me know how Jesus works. <laughs> so, oh, man. Oh, man. All right. My next quote is page 22. Go ahead. Um, so this is when they're talking about how it's illegal for a black man or black woman to have relations with a white man or white woman, right? No mixing. Um, and he said, quote, there were whole police officers whose only job was to go around peeking through windows. 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 <laughs> Windows. Clearly an assignment for only the finest law enforcement officers. And that's I just like this sarcasm. Drift with sarcasm. I love his sarcasm it. so much. I want to like dip a potato chip in his sarcasm. I'm just, just oh, suck oh, on oh, it. <laughs> <laughs> um, my next one's on 33. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, your defense can't be that witchcraft isn't real. No, no, no. You'll lose. You'll lose. <laughs> yeah, what the... Oh, we'll get there. I have lots of things about witchcraft. <laughs> so it's like simultaneously South Africans are, they, they like are simultaneously all about Jesus and also like very superstitious and into their own like ancestral history. Which I'm super about. Yeah, I love that. But it basically they were like, you, somebody gets struck by lightning and if you've got an open vendetta against him, they'll come arrest you and be like, uh, you are a witch and you struck him with lightning and they're like, uh, and Trevor's basically like, you can't say that witchcraft isn't real as a defense. You will lose yes. because everybody, everybody believes in witchcraft. witchcraft. And there are witches and there are cats and we kill the cats. Cats! Oh, are we going to talk about the cats? Yeah, we will. I have a whole note. Okay. <laughs> My next quote's on page 43. I've got 42. Okay, go ahead. The story of Soweto is the story of the driveways. It's a hopeful place. Oh, yes. So, so in Soweto... 
they, which is where they lived growing up. Um, one of the places. Yeah, they moved around a lot. Yeah. But it was like a big one that he talked about. He talks about how there are rooms. And it's like, like you, you build, build You rooms. build a house one wall at a time. You yeah. build one wall and you've got a shanty built up against it. And then you build another wall and then you build a third wall. Eventually you have one room. And then if you keep living there, you build another room. And it's not a two-bedroom house. It's just a two-room house. Yes. And um, all of the houses have driveways. But and nobody. One, but nobody has, has a car. car. And, but like, it's a staple. You have to have you, a driveway. You have a driveway and have a house. Yes. Yes. And so basically that's what he's saying is Soweto is a hopeful place because they all have driveways <laughs> and that's what defines them. And I love that. I just thought it was so sweet. There's a lot going on on page 43. Yeah, so I said, <laughs> I, really I don't, I don't want to read the whole paragraph about shitting. So I'm just going to tell you <laughs> my favorite line. So he talks about shitting. This is one of the stories I wanted to talk about. For like seven pages. <laughs> he uses the word he, shitting every other word. And, and, he, and he, he decides he doesn't want to go out to the out, outhouse and poop in the outhouse. Because it's raining. The outhouse, well, it's raining and he, was, he had this fear that the flies at the bottom of the pit that like he pooped in would go up his butt. Which so he, I totally get. I get it too. But like. So he was like, oh, I'm home alone, except for my blind great-grandmother, oh, and I'm just going to take a shit on this newspaper. Which he does. He does. He very quietly. shit on the newspaper, I wrinkles it up, it. and that puts it in the trash can. That was my favorite chapter. Oh, my God. Because the whole time, his great-grandmother, who is blind, is like, is anybody there? And he's like, freezes. She's freaking out, and he's just like pooping in slow motion on this newspaper. And then they perform an exorcism on the piece of poop. They do, because because his grandmother, Coco, is oh, like, is like, my. there's a demon in the house. There was, I heard something, and there's, how did the poop get in the trash can? I was laughing. I All lost it. Song was like, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, no. I lost <laughs> it. No, I'm not. I, I wrote, I literally wrote page 48. I said, dying over this whole poop fiasco. I can't. I can't even imagine. Like, and oh his mom God. is so, like, they called all of the women from the neighborhood to over pray. to pray over his poop because they thought it was a demon in the house oh who put God. the poop in the house. Who put the poop in the And he was not going to fess up to it. not about to fess And they made him. him pray over his own oh poop. God. Maybe they don't, we don't know the whole story. Oh, my God. I, Oh, man. So, I, I do have one. I, I want to read you my favorite line of the entire five-page mm, fiasco. Mm. You are never more yourself than when you are shitting. You have that moment when you realize, this is me. This is who I am. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't read this, this book, I implore you to at least read these five pages. It's so funny. It's so funny. Um, this, no, I will say, I, I have a note from that page. I just wrote, interesting perspective on pooping. I hate pooping. But like he's I not do. wrong. Never think he's about the most wrong. powerful man you know, and then imagine that man shitting. He is now so below you. It's not even. It's not even funny. <laughs> well, and the thing is, like I, I just feel dirty when I poop. So like I don't. I don't know. That's maybe that's just me. I've always felt that way. I don't feel dirty. I feel meek and small. What does that say about us? I don't know. It's a common theme. Like well, everyone poops. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but like at the same time, I'm like, I feel so gross. Yeah, like there's actual shit coming out of my body. Yes, but it's a natural thing. So why is it a why is hello men women? I think poop. it's like a private time, like yeah. a like it's a me like don't walk in on me pooping. <laughs> I think it's different with men and women because men don't care if you like if they're just gonna like whip out their dick and pee. That's different than them totally sitting on the bowl. Whereas you and I have to sit on the bowl for both. Yeah. So are we just like fucked because of our toilet habits? <laughs> That's unfair. I'm gonna pee standing up from now on. <laughs> Straddling the bowl. Just crouch with their facing the back. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my, oh my god. god. So that's poop. <laughs> this is the poop fiasco. My next quote's on page 52. Go ahead. My own family basically did what the American justice system does. I was given more lenient treatment than the black kids. Yes, because he was colored. He was colored and he wasn't seen as, as, as black. black. And yet, it, well, that wasn't always a good thing because then he didn't fit in with the black or the white or the Asian. Or the color. So he was just like, what? It was like I the black do? people thought he was too white. The white people thought he was too black. 
And then um, the colored people were like, you're a colored person trying to disavow colored culture, and so you don't fit in here. It's Because he grew up with, like, the black South Africans. Right, so he's like, this is where I feel like I belong. Which I wonder, I bet that's why he became a comedian, because, I mean, you have to, spending a lot of time with yourself like that, like, you very obviously get used to... Well, and he got used to becoming the kid that everyone liked but never really fit in Mm -hmm. when he did his, like, tuck job. Yes, tuck truck. Tuck truck. The tuck shop. Tuck shop. I wrote it down somewhere. Oh, we're not there. My next quote's on page 88. Hang on, let me check. Okay. I gotta get back in my iPad. Hang on. By that, I mean Adam's iPad. What was the last thing I said? Uh, he didn't fit in. No, I have one on 73. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. My mom raised me as if there were no limitations on where I could go or what I could do. When I looked back, I realized she raised me like a white kid. Not white culturally, but in the sense of believing that the world was my oyster, that I should speak up for myself, that my ideas and thoughts and decisions mattered. Honestly, he would not be the man he was today without his mother, and he knows His it. mother is amazing. I, I want to meet this woman. I know. His mother is amazing. Like, like actual superwoman. Yes. She's like, fuck you, bitch, I'm going to do what I want, and I love Jesus. <laughs> That's exactly how she is. That's 100%. She's like, I got shot in the fucking head. And I yeah. like, because Jesus. Because Jesus. <laughs> um, yes. That's just... Uh, that really struck a chord with me because, like, I've never had to question whether people cared what I said. And, like, right. it's, ju- it's just one of those things where it's like... We're allowed to have that. I'm allowed to have that. And it's never even occurred to me that other people are not. You know. Which is why this book's so important. Exactly. People who didn't grow up in that. We love you. Thank you. Teach us Teach your ways. ways. Okay. My next one's on page 100, so you go. Okay, I have got a couple. Um, page 88. Um, although this is like half a quote, but I'm just going to like take it. Okay. I'm a little surprised that it took Trevor going to Catholic school for his family to learn that Catholic school is not, quote, the place to be creative and independent. Hmm. Like, I could have fucking told you that. What's wrong with you? 90s, right? Catholic school has never changed. That's right. Like, ever. (laughs) Like, ever. Um, My next quote's on page 91, which I really, really liked, and Mm -hmm. I'm going to, like, remind myself of this. It says, if you think too much about the ass-kicking your mom gave you, or the ass-kicking that life gave you, you'll stop pushing the boundaries and breaking the rules. It's better to take it, spend some time crying, then wake up the next day and move on. Yes! Yeah. That makes me think of, um, I've talked a bunch about this for, like, a million days at this point, but um, Rollins just did this strengths finder thing that I also did at our last job at the NAI, um, and one of my strengths is that I'm futuristic, which was interesting because I was talking to some other kids at Rollins who, like, have the same strength, and they view it differently, because, like, my friend Megan sees it as, like, if she speaks what she wants out loud, like, she's speaking it into existence, basically. Like, she wants to be somewhere, she's going to say it out loud, she's going to write it down, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's more like, even if everything goes to shit today, tomorrow's a new day. And you have to start fresh every day. Um, and there's always the potential for a better day. Yeah, that is not me. It's me. I'm the most pessimistic person. <laughs> it's me. Um, okay. Tell me your quote on 100, whatever. You do not own the thing that you love. No! Oh! Duh. Yes. If you love something, let it go. If it comes back, it's yours. If it doesn't, it wasn't yours in the first place. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Why did you stop me? <laughs> I really enjoyed that. That whole chapter called Foofy killed me. Yes. I needed a long... I, I had to recover. I was like, <laughs> we're going to eat now. We're going to put this down for a little while. Oh. Foofy is his dog who's deaf, who, who was deaf, and... And they didn't know until Foofy died. And the fact that how Foofy died was traumatic as fuck, first off. And also, it just was like, you don't own the thing that you love. Like, you can well, love it, but you, you don't own it. No, he, you don't. It's, I, I think that he, he kept saying, he was like, I'm glad I learned this lesson young. And I'm like, if that exact scenario happened to me, I would not have, like, seen that as a lesson. I'd be like, fuck you, Foofy, what the hell, man? Yeah. And then moved on with my hating life. If you didn't read the book, um, Foofy is his dog, who he didn't realize was, like, when they would leave during the day, Foofy would go to another house with another boy, and the boy would, the boy thought that Foofy was his dog, and basically, um, Trevor's mom had to buy their own dog back off of this family. 
and he was just so betrayed because he loved Foofy so much, and Foofy didn't love him back as much, obviously, because she was cheating on him with another boy. Which, like, it's ridiculous, and we know that, and dogs just like, like people. Yeah, but also, if Bug was going to hang out with another family, I'd be crushed. Cats are homicidal beings. <laughs> you have to just expect this of them. I know, but I love him. Where is he? With another family. <laughs> <laughs> I have 152 is my next quote. I don't have another one until 257. So okay, 152 says, I was like a peeping Tom, but for friendship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that line. Because he, like, he didn't have any friends, like we were talking about earlier. And so he would, like, go watch the other kids have playdates in, like, the wealthier, like, white communities. And the playdates were always behind the gates of their houses. They had gates and walls, yeah. and so we'd just like peer over the walls and watch them have playdates. He was like, I was like a peeping tom, but for friendship. For friendship. Beautiful. Oh, it made me laugh. Oh, Trevor. Um, my next quote's not until page 209. You still go, I'm on 257. Oh, right, okay. And this I'm really interested in hearing your opinions about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, this is coupled with like the quote. Um, I wrote, I'm super interested in hearing Jackie's opinions about this book. It's literally all about crime in South Africa. And I wrote, um, the quote is, the hood made me realize that crime succeeds because crime does the one thing the government doesn't do. Crime cares. Crime is grassroots. Crime looks for the young kids who need support and a lifting hand. Crime offers internship programs and summer jobs and opportunities for advancement. Crime gets involved in the community. Crime doesn't discriminate. It's true. 90% of the chronological theories that have been empirically validated say that. They're like, crime works because it takes people young, shows them the ropes, and gives them resources, and nothing else will, and that's why it works. That's Done. super interesting. It was, it was funny. And I don't you know. think that, like, is that like a theory that applies to like global crime? Yeah, yeah. It's just crime as a, as a phenomenon. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, most, most chronological theories are such. I, I don't know if it, it's fine. I don't know if it was grad school or if maybe I'm just finally using what I've learned in like real world applications. There was like every other chapter. It was like that's this theory, that's this theory, that's this theory, and I'm like I could fix this. I could fix this. And people would just listen to me. <laughs> yeah, specifically if you're interested, social disorganization theory and geographical chronological theories. Or this book, go look them up. We love it. We love it. All right. Uh, my next quote's 221, so I'm going to go for it because I know it's before yours. Yep. In society, we do horrible things to one another because we don't see the person it affects. We don't see their face. We don't see them as people. That I really thought was poignant because especially in, like, today's digital age, like, you, people can be such dicks over the internet and it works because you don't see the person that you're affecting. Yeah, that's, they talk about that a lot. Huh. You guessed it, in crime theory, <laughs> certain crimes are more popular is because people don't see it as a crime because I'm not hurting a person, I'm hurting the system, and so it doesn't matter. But they realize by hurting the system, they are hurting people. Yeah. Oh my god. I love it. I love hearing you talk about this. Like, <laughs> your shit. I love Wee. it. Um, oh, I have 257. Mm. Is that the same page as Probably, you? yeah, probably the same quote. I bet it's, it is. You can take it. Okay, this is, is this is, this is when Abel is not arrested? Yes. That's when I realized the police yes, were not who I thing. thought they were. <laughs> yeah, so this is when Abel... Oh, was... I have the next sec- sentence, too. Oh, me, too. I was okay. going to say yeah, that yeah. again. They... But yeah, the second sentence is the most important Yes, part. yeah. Um, Abel, his stepfather, marries his mother and is really charming and then, wouldn't you know it, becomes super abusive and aggressive. Yeah. And no matter how much his mother goes to the police and is like, motherfuckers, lock this fucker up, they're like, ah, he's just being all Abel. Okay, so He's Trevor just being says, a man. Yeah, that's when I realized the police were not who I thought they were. They were men first and police second. And yes. I would say that that stands today. Yes, I wrote, I said super powerful quote. Like, yeah. super powerful. Yeah. Um, what, at one point in the book, I wrote um, something about how, I bet I, I, bet I have it. Um, I said, this is actually on page 39. I said, Super interesting to think of a place where women are the foundation of everything but are still forced into subservience. Oh, wait. Is that America? Oh, why don't you look at that? And then I said, for real, though, South South Africa lived that way, and at least, like, they acknowledged it. They lived that way on purpose. And I think the difference between that and America today is that, like, that's still a thing here, but people, people don't, don't acknowledge yeah. it. Like, that doesn't exist. Everyone is paid equally, and there's no racism or sexism, and everything is wonderful, and we are the land of the free. Go troops. 
Yes. Marika. Marika. <clears throat> Which is disgusting. Let me just fucking tell you. Yes. Yes. And then I have one last quote on page 274. Yeah, go ahead. I'm out of quotes. Okay. Um, it says, um, this is, I wrote, excuse me. Yep. Um, so this is when his mother was getting shot. Okay. Um, and I wrote, this is breaking my heart. It's beautifully vulnerable. The quote is, my cry was not a cry of sadness. It was not catharsis. It was not me feeling sorry for myself. It was an expression of raw pain that came from an inability of my body to express that pain in any other way, shape, or form. And I just feel like, and I, okay, so I talked about this a little bit last night. Um, like I said, I'm on the, oh, you probably don't know this yet because that's in a later episode that we already know. <laughs> but, um, so I joined the executive board for an organization in Orlando called the Orlando Gay Chorus. And their mission is to bring music, uh, like, bring community together through music. People of all different backgrounds through music. Um, and I mentioned something last night while we were trying to figure out our new sponsorship levels. Um, about how I feel like music is about being vulnerable and being, like, using that vulnerability to connect with your audience, build a community, and leave your audience better than when they walked into your concert. And that's something that I learned from um, my college um, <clears throat> choral director. And I think that applies here too. I think that applies to autobiographies in particular. You're not going to connect with your reader unless you're vulnerable. And I think that that was like, that chapter was the culmination of him telling his story and like telling you about all of his like, flaws and everything that made him who he was and like that quote I just really liked because I thought it was a really beautiful way that he was opening himself up to his readers and I will leave it at that. I hope I never have to cry like that. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah. His stepfather shoots his goddamn mother but we'll get there. Yeah. Who would have She thought? lives. She lives. Oh, yeah. She's fine. Spoiler alert. Who, Don't listen to the last ten seconds. Who would have, <laughs> who would have thought that she, he would, sh- would have shot her? Oh, how did the whole fucking yes. family? Oh, wait. We still do that. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Oh, yeah. Um, I would like to start back at the very beginning and just talk about the title of this book. Yes. It's an amazing title. It is an amazing title. Because he was literally talking about how, like... It is illegal, and you can serve five years in jail for having relations with someone that who is not in your category of race. So he's literally, as a mixed person, is born a crime. He's literally he's literally a crime. He's illegal. He is. He's a illegal. product of an illegal act. Yes. Amazing. A beautiful title. Beautiful. And especially like it, I didn't expect it to really tie through to the rest. Yeah. And it did beautifully. beautifully. You yeah. know, like it was all about all of the different things that he did to survive, whether they were legal or not. And many of them were not legal. So I just found them super interesting. You want to talk about, like, specific stories? Yeah. Um, I have one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, but one of them is the demon poop. So we can... And one of them is the death dog. So we can... Okay. Cut that down to four. Um, oh, oh, I did have another quote. Oh, where was it? It was page 17. I didn't put quotes around it because I'm dumb. It's when she throws him out of the moving car. Oh, wait. That's the first story I wanted to talk about. It's perfect. Okay. Um, I liked it because I really feel like they bookended, he bookended the book really well. Starting and ending with that? Yes. Yeah. Where he started with like, what did I, what did I write? I said... Okay, so it was a Sunday when his mom threw him out of the car, and I, he knew it was a Sunday because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. That's how he starts the book. And then he ends the book with, it was a Sunday when my mom was shot, and I know it was a Sunday because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it's And it was absolutely genius writing, and I loved it, um, and I want to come back to that, but I just think it's like, it's such a different world. Yeah, his mom didn't throw him out of the car because she was mean. She saved his life. I yes. just want to, like... Yeah. <laughs> we gloss over that yes. for a second. They were in a... They hitchhiked to church because Jesus. And the... He was like, Jesus thinks we should stay home. And she's like, no, no, no. We're going to church. And yeah, their like, car broke down. So yeah. they hitchhiked. And the guy was like, you're going to die now. And she was like, um, 
fat chance. And so she threw Trevor out and then jumped out with him and they ran. But anyway, my quote to that is, this is after they get away and they're talking about it. And Trevor goes, I know you love Jesus, but maybe next week you could ask him to meet us at our house because this really wasn't a fun night. <laughs> He's so funny. I know. He's a funny so kid. Funny. Like, obviously you're a He was. He was a very funny kid. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about was deciding to have a baby. Like, how she was just like, I want a kid. And was like, just went to her neighbor with like, okay. hey, Hi. have a kid with me. And he's like, uh, no. no. And she's like, uh, you don't have to be involved. I just want a child. And like, you don't have to do anything. And thus Trevor was born. And there was Trevor. I, and I wanted to know if you were not in a relationship no. and you wanted a kid. These are two important okay, okay. I will prerequisites try. for this situation. I will try. Neither of them are true, but if this was like, if you were single and you wanted a child, would you do that? Would no. you go to one of your guy friends and be like, I just want your sperm? No, because to me, having a child, first of all, if I ever decided to have a child, I'd want it to be with like a partner that I have. I wouldn't do that for myself or funsies. Mm. And like, obviously she shouldn't do it for funsies. She did it because she wanted something meaningful in her life to take care of. I will never have that want. Mm. So no. Well, is that want different from wanting, like, a cat? Yes, cats are much different than babies. I don't have to... <laughs> well, okay, but you just said... You said she wanted it... She wanted to have a baby because she wanted something meaningful in her life to take care of. Is that... How is that different from having, like, a pet? No, it's not, but, like... It's just different levels it's, of the it's same thing. different level, but, yeah. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I understand. I was Trevor does. <laughs> um, I would never do that. Yeah. No. I would... I would either. I'd more likely, like adopt a child like I don't I've got kind of, I'm kind of on my moral high horse where you shouldn't have kids if there are kids who need homes in the first place so like I wouldn't have kids anyway yeah like if I'm gonna have kids I will adopt I don't yeah. want to have them myself fair so you're asking the wrong person what about you you said you wouldn't no I wouldn't do yeah. it I wouldn't do it yeah I'm with you I want if I'm gonna have a kid I want it to be with a partner that I plan to spend my life with yeah that's something you do together yeah now that that's wrong to like do it by yourself, no, I will never. It's just be in not who we are as people. Yeah. Um. Uh. But that just speaks to her fucking character. She I is love her. incredible. Um. The only other two things I have are the mulberries and his romantic education, all three parts. Oh man, I have um. Um. Let's see. And then I, I do have a couple things that are just like chronological that we can touch on if you want. Yeah, most of my stuff are just like little one-liners of chronological stuff that I have. Oh, I would like to talk about Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> you, okay? Okay. Yes. I'm ready to talk about Hitler. Let's talk about Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> the chapter where like he is at the I was. I was so horrified. I was like, and he's like, like, I was oh, horrified. Okay. God. So Trevor explains how he's Mandela is the president. <laughs> Go Hitler. Go Hitler. Oh my God. I, so, we're not at this metaphor. So, no. <laughs> please explain. So Trevor Noah explains that in South Africa, Hitler, like Adolf Hitler, who's responsible for millions and millions of deaths, is like not the worst guy that they know and not the worst thing that they personally have ever experienced. So to them, they don't have the same regard to Hitler as the rest of the world. One, because they weren't properly educated about it. And two, it just wasn't the worst fucking thing to them. Yeah, well, so, because they went through their own their, yeah. terrible, terrible history. It was like, oh, you two things, but... But nobody documented ours, so right. nobody knows nobody about Nobody knows ours. about it. So he talks about how... Names are important, and you name your kids based off of what you think they are or what you want them to be. So if you want a strong leader, you name your kid Hitler, and that was very common. Mm -hmm. So now he has a friend named Hitler. Who's a dancer. And that gets him into some trouble when they're invited to dance at a Jewish school. Yes, and so they, they're like, that he's DJing, and he gets to that certain part in his set where they bring out Hitler as, like, the closer in terms of, like, you get a party started with your your dance crew the hype was so amazing the hype was amazing and then he screams get ready for hitler go hitler 
go Hitler. Put your hands in the air for Hitler. And I lost my fucking shit. <laughs> because every single person in that room turned and just, just stared at him. Horrified. And like he didn't know and nobody knows. No, but and then it was like he explained like the misunderstandings that were happening in the conversations that just so beautifully were like we all know what these Jewish people were saying and what they meant, but Trevor Noah, as somebody who just didn't understand the history behind the Holocaust and had no point of reference, really, um, he was thinking of it more like, oh, these people are racist against black people. And so both sides were seeing themselves as the victims and having completely different conversations. And yet their conversations were both seamless. Yeah. It was amazing. Yes. I wonder how, I, I wish, I did wish he told me how long it took him to realize what he had done. Like, when yeah. did you realize when that that realize was fucked up? Yeah. Um, I have a point. I got to page 75. Okay. And I've, I have a note that says, I read this page to Adam, and he asked me if I thought the book was ghostwritten, or if, he, if Trevor Noah dictated it, or if he just had a very good editor. What? And none of the options were that Trevor Noah was just a good writer. I'm pretty sure he's just a good writer. That's what I said. And it what well, the conversation made me really mad. So the sent uh, the page, and I'll read it because it's pretty short. It's one of those inter-chapter pages. It says apartheid for all its power had fatal flaws baked in, starting with the fact that it never made any sense. Racism is not logical. Consider this Chinese people were classified as black in South Africa. I don't mean they were running around acting black, they were still Chinese. But unlike Indians, there weren't enough Chinese people to warrant devising a whole separate classification. Apartheid, despite its intricacies and precision, didn't know what to do with them. So the government said, eh, we'll just call them black. It's simpler that way. Interestingly, at the same time, Japanese people were labeled as white. The reason for this was that the South African government wanted to establish good relations with the Japanese in order to import their fancy cars and electronics. So Japanese people were given honorary white status while Chinese people stayed black. I always like to imagine being a South African policeman who couldn't tell, who likely couldn't tell the difference between Chinese and Japanese, but whose job was to make sure that the people of people of the wrong color weren't doing the wrong thing. If he saw an Asian person sitting on a whites only bench, what would he say? Hey, get off that bench, you China man! Excuse me, I'm Japanese. Oh, I apologize, sir. I didn't mean to be racist. Have a lovely afternoon. Illogical. Illogical. But it just, it made me want to have this whole conversation about, like, why can't we just assume that somebody's a good writer? Why do we have to assume that somebody else wrote the book for them? Or I wonder if it's just because that's how writer. it usually is. Yeah. Specifically, but is, that, is that how for, it usually for is? For autobiographies, I do think it is. Mm. But I think if you think critically about it and say Trevor Noah is a comedian who writes his stuff, he hosts a TV show who writes his own stuff, mm-hmm. he grew up making mixtapes by himself. Like, I think he comes from a place of making, and right. so I think that he also wrote this book. That's, that's what I said. I, I was like, honestly, he can't, he's talking about eating caterpillars and, like, sucking marrow out of bones because he's so poor that his family can't afford to buy anything. I can't imagine he would sit there and say, I want to write a book. Somebody else write it for me. Yeah, he wouldn't do that. He, he'd be like, you have no idea what I went through. Right. But yeah. he, and the thing I like about Trevor Noah is that he wouldn't blame them for not understanding. No, not at all. He, not would, at say, all. he would say, I appreciate you wanting to help, but I don't think you understand everything that I went through, so I want to write it down and maybe you can help me like, and and did he have editors who helped him with chronologies? Sure. Did he help out with word choice? Sure. This book's written by him. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Um, I thought it was fucking adorable that his dad followed his career the whole time. (gasps) Yeah. Absolutely precious. Um, should we talk about the mulberry tree? Let's. What page is that on? I don't have anything right I wrote one, page 122, I just wrote, kids are the fucking worst. Who just pelted someone with mulberries, and how did not a single person stand up to him? Well. Or stand up for him. People don't do that now. I know, but, like, what is wrong with the human race? Well, they've been taught that people who are not their color are bad people. And then Abel's like, fuck you, I'm gonna literally kill you. Ugh! Yeah. I was like, at first, I don't know, like, I obviously 
felt for him. Like, yeah. nobody should have to suffer that. But, like, also, like, everyone's bullied. So, like... Yeah, I, I guess the hard part is that, like, you can only take the high road for so long. So I understand why he was, like, trying to get somebody bigger than him to help. But at the same time... No, not even... I don't even want to say that it's his fault for egging on Abel. Abel shouldn't have beaten the crap out of that kid. I'm just saying that's when it... That's when the story got the most sad for me. Not the mulberry. Yeah. The mulberry was like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Abel's killing him? Oh, this is not okay. But what does that say about us that everybody's so mean that you just accept the fact that everybody's going to be bullied? You're going to bully the outsider. Because science says that if you just ignore them, they'll go away. Like, I'm not trying to downplay bullying at all, but people bully because they were bullied. And so if you just stop the chain... Done. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't make it right. And he was bullied for different reasons than other people are bullied, and those reasons are worse than why some other people are bullied. Yeah. But bullying is bullying. And that story, I guess for me, just the story wasn't all that sad until Abel was involved. Mm. I don't know. I I the Abel part made me angrier. Mm-hmm. That's sad. And the sad part for me was that as a society, we can't just be nice. You know? It, like, as children, like, it starts so young, you know? I just think it's difficult to be nice when the system works literally against you. I mean, yes, I, I, but that's what I'm saying. That's my point, is that, like, the system has ingrained in us, like, the system works against us so much that, like, you can't make your own decisions about who you like based on their personality. You have to make your decisions about who you like based off of what they look like. And then it's acceptable for you to chuck a bunch of mulberries and gang up on one kid. And, like, obviously he's okay. He doesn't actually get physically hurt. But, like, being ganged up on like that, it just doesn't sit right with me. And it doesn't sit right with me. Has it ever happened to you? I don't think so. happened to me but I feel like it has happened in my presence oh yeah yeah you know his mother's reaction killed me <laughs> she was like you're fine off. yeah that's honestly that's how I feel about yeah me. that's probably my emotional side coming in but it just doesn't that's like that to me is just emotionally traumatizing for the victim mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and I, I wish as a society we could stop doing that people like their power too much. Yeah. I found another quote. I'm upset. I need to do a better job writing. Oh my god. It's okay. It's, it'll, it, I'll say it when we maybe now go on to his love stories. Mm-hmm. I have a couple things, actually. They ran Valentine's Day like a fucking business. It's, oh, it's true. Oh my god. You, y'all know. You get, you buy, like, roses. We did this in high school. We, like, buy roses for your Valentine. They're the that letters. That was not a thing at my high school. Really? Yeah. That was, like, the most high school thing my high school did. It was really annoying. We didn't really... Fall for Glen Coco! You go, Glen Coco! We didn't... And now for Gretchen Wieners. Good day. Good day. We never, we never really had that. That's kind of all I had was that they ran Valentine's Day as... Oh, I have quite a few... Not quite a few things. And I have some I... questions. I have a quote on page 132. It says, we kissed and something had awakened. It was right outside of McDonald's, so it was extra special. <laughs> and, I and then he talks about on page 149 how he had his crush on a girl named Zahira, mm-hmm. but he was like, I'm playing the long game. And she was never interested in him. And he's like, I'll just be her friend. And then she'll be like, OMG, it's been you all along. Except he never had the courage to tell her that he liked her. And then over the summer break, she was like, peace. She moved to America. And I just, like, personally wonder if Zahira's ever read the book and, like, now knows that he had a crush on her. <gasps> right? Like. Because he's single, isn't he? Yeah. I Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> Solomon, watch out. No, I was doing research. <laughs> For research purposes. Um, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's super interesting. 
I I was curious if he was with anybody and if it was like like what type of girl he would end up with. A uh, strong, independent one. Or if he would end up with somebody. You know, what I think I'm he'd be a great boyfriend. I think he'd be a great dad. Like, <laughs> sorry, I'm just imagining him like doing one of his comedy skits, like sketches for his kid, and his kid's like, Dad, you're so stupid. <laughs> I see you you started that sentence and I was thinking like him doing a comedy sketch for like his two year old and his two year old just being like <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, um, okay, what else do I have? Oh I guess I missed this when we were talking about Hitler, but um I have said I said page one ninety six. I don't know what this is in reference to, but I said amazing with four exclamation points. Fresh perspectives with three exclamation points. Get educated. This whole Hitler thing fascinates me. (laughs) 196? Yeah. Why his name is Hitler? His name is Hitler because his mom named him Hitler. Mm. I have a thing about, um, on page one. 59 when he's caught shoplifting but not really caught shoplifting because he looks white because he's white yeah so i guess like he was with a kid that was darker than him mm-hmm. and on the security camera it picked up two people it picked up his black friend and then it didn't know what to do with him so the like output of the tv made him white mm-hmm. and they were literally like they were talking to him in the office and was like do you know who this person is and in his head he's like bro that's me but there's a quote that he says, these people have been so fucked by their own construct of race that they could not see the white person they were looking at was right in front of them. Mm. Mm. I don't have any other big things. I have two more. Okay, go ahead. One of them is a discussion point and one of them is a question. So okay. I'll start with the discussion point. Yes. I also have... I actually, before the discussion, I have a note about the misfire of the gun. Oh, okay. Okay. So if you haven't, if you don't know, and by now maybe just fucking stop. I'm not religious. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to say, so Abel, the stepfather, shot his mother in the leg and then in the head. She's in the fine. butt and then. Oh the yeah, head. you're right, the butt. So when he, so at first he got her down on like her knees and was pointing the gun at her like execution style in the back of her head and the gun misfired what four fucking times yeah okay so i'm gonna say i'm not surprised that the bullet went through her head and that she survived because it actually happens quite a bit Mm -hmm. i do think it was an act of god that it misfired four times like (laughs) because i'm sorry I'm sorry. Did Jackie Berkeley just say the words? I think it was an act of God. I don't think. I'm, I have to. I need a break. I need a break. <laughs> Come back. She, I don't, she walked out of the room. So this is my podcast now. <laughs> Not. I don't think it was the Christian God. It was an act of some a other higher force, power. A higher Wait, power. That's all I need. That's okay. all we need. It was some because here are my reasons. Because for me, I need reasons. Yes, I understand. Okay. First of all. A misfire happens. Wait, I'm gonna teach you some gun, guns right now. Here we go. <laughs> a misfire happens not when. Um, actually, I'll start with misfeed because it's chronologically. So a misfeed is when after you fire once, the next round does not properly go into the chamber. Mm-hmm. So you have the magazine and it's one in the chamber. So when it shoots, the next one loads up into the chamber. Mm-hmm. A misfeed means it didn't properly go into the chamber to be able to shoot. Okay. A misfire means it properly got in the chamber but didn't exit correctly. So he's talking about these were all misfires, which means they had to have been in the chamber and they didn't fire correctly. But if they were all misfires, then one, you have to manually empty out the chamber every time because it gets stuck and you'd be able to see the round. Be like, this was a misfired round. It's dented, it's blacker, like it's just fucked up. Except for him, he didn't have to unload the chamber every time and the rounds were perfectly untouched on the ground around him. That doesn't fucking happen. It was some type of aura. <laughs> There's your gun talk for the day. Thanks, oh my folks. Gosh. So that because the rounds were perfectly intact on the ground and he didn't have to rechamber every time, that is why I think oh that it was God. some type of 
wind. Our description for this episode is going to be, this is the book that convinced Jackie that God is real. <laughs> well, that's fucking, that's a weird. I think it should be called, let's talk about Hitler. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. There's wow. just, there's a lot we can unpack with this book. I think we hit most of the big stories. Wait, well, I got- you, I know, I'm just saying, like, I, I have no more no, stories. No, I don't, I don't have any more stories either. Okay. The last thing, last point of discussion I have is that I'm curious your opinion on the fishing rod thing. Where he's like, he's like, you, of course, you know that, that saying that says you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. You teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a year. But you have to give him the fishing rod. And I feel like this kind of ties into our conversation about, like, crime provides the resources. But, like... I was curious your opinion on, like, the whole... I agree with him. Because think about, like, a common thing with, like, crime or homeless is, like, get a job. Okay, so let's take it step by step. You give a man a fish eats for a day. Okay, so you give a man a resume and he goes to a job and he bombs the interview. Okay. Now you you teach the man how to to interview. Okay, so he has a resume, he goes to interview, he knows how to interview. But if you don't give the guy the computer to type up the resume in the fucking first place, it's done. Yeah. So for me, it's like a single point of failure shouldn't, there shouldn't be a single point of failure. Yeah. And with all of his examples, there were. And that's why crime fits because there is no single point of failure. Yeah. the system there is. See, I I see your point and I kind of agree with it. I see it a little bit differently because I was thinking of it more like, like, okay, you have a homeless person who is like begging for food. And so you give a man a fish, you give him a burger. And he eats for a day, but that's not going to solve his problem long term. You teach a man to fish, okay? You say, let's get you a job. I'm going to teach you how to get a job. You're, we're going to practice interviews. We're going to do all this stuff. Um, I'm going to help you type up your resume, etc. But, again, if he doesn't have a computer, if he doesn't have the right clothes for the interview, if he doesn't have access to a shower so he's got good hygiene... He doesn't have access to a car. He's limited on where he can apply. You know, like, it's very... Yeah, it doesn't matter the knowledge you have. You have to have have the the items able to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And also, I mean, Adam and I had this discussion yesterday about how, like, you can be homeless and have every... Like, all the best intentions in terms of, like, getting a job. But, like, especially with, like, the two-factor authentication stuff that goes on now where they're like, okay, we need your email and your phone number otherwise that's it homeless people can't afford a phone bill they don't have a phone you can get an email and log on to it at the library but as soon as they're like okay send us you know text us the number we just emailed you there's no way to do that that precludes them from a job and so it's just it's i feel like that's unintentionally exclusive and maybe it is intentionally exclusive but yeah i think it is it's just wild you know the last question i have is would you do anything for the people you love oh you mean like how he was asking like to pay in that specific instance hell yeah it's a my phone credit card bitch my mom is shot no not not in that specific instance oh. you, would you do anything for the people you love it it truly depends like to answer your question no mm-hmm. i have to it's all contextual and it's all situation based mm-hmm. but most of my decisions for everything are so why wouldn't that also? Mm-hmm. Like, I think, like, love is the most important thing. But, like, do anything. Like, so, like, I'm not going to shoot my dad to save my mom. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that would be anything. Yeah. So, to me, it's very situational. Yeah. Sorry, Mom. I don't That will never happen, but, you know. <laughs> it's very situational. Yeah. No, I get that. It was just an interesting question that he posed. Where yeah. He was, like, I think it was... Not big of him, that's the wrong term, but like I think it was very real and very human of him to be like, wait a minute, do I really need to spend the money to save my mom? Yeah. I think it's very real. And he's like, just do it. Just freaking save her. Yeah. But also, just, we could go into a whole conversation about healthcare, but that's not what this book is about. Yeah. No, well, this, this book also talks a lot about how language is the most important thing to have to kind of break barriers. Yeah. And that. How do you go on a date with someone? How do you date? Gonna be his first date. I was thinking of like the new girl episode where he realizes it was a sex worker, but 
I haven't seen that I episode, know. but it sounds hilarious. Oh my god, it's amazing. Alright, um, so please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, Instagram but not LinkedIn. Wait, I actually do have a question. Oh, who's this? A random person. Is it? I thought so. I tried Where's to, his mom? I thought it was his mom. I tried to find, like, cover art for the book, and I couldn't find any credit, so I don't know. It's not in the book? No. That's super interesting. Did you know that... Does your book have a... S- about the type at the end? What? I didn't read this part. No, I only have acknowledgments. After acknowledgments, I have a page called About the Type. Hmm. And it says, This book was set in Founier. A type of a typeface named for Pierre Simon Founier, 1712 to 1768, the youngest son of a French printing family. He started out engraving woodblocks in large capiti- large capitals, then moved on to fonts of type. In 1736, he began his own foundry and made several important contributions in the field of type design. He is said to have cut 147 alphabets of his own creation. Founier is probably best remembered as the designer of Saint Augustine Ordinaire. A face that served as the model for the t- monotype corporation's Founier, which was released in 1925. I've never seen a book give credit to the font it chose. Like this font? Yeah. Cool. Well, that's super interesting. He's so fucking inclusive of him. I know. I bet he. I bet he. He probably thought about that. He speaks what, like seven languages? So mm-hmm. he's probably trying to like. He's like this person typed up 147 alphabets, so they're important. Uh, yeah. Guys, go watch Trevor's Noah's Everything. Yes. And read his everything. And read his everything. There's a second book coming out that picks up right where this one left off. Yes! And it specifically talks about his, um, his, uh, transition from DJ to comedian. Amazing! Next book. Next book. What are we reading next? Mm. Okay, we don't know. Let you know. We'll put it on the website. You gotta pee. Okay. Bye. Remember everybody poops. Eat. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Welcome to Read Between the Vines. Um, I'm Chrissy. That's I'm Jackie. Oh my god. <laughs>